Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And we are here in the first week of our Lent study, His Love Endures, a Lenten study of the book of Jeremiah. Y'all, this is going to be a seven-week series. We are kicking it off this week. So as you know, Lent and Ash Wednesday are, of course, this coming Wednesday. And we have our good friend and yours, our She Reads Truth content director, John Greco, with us. It's going to be a great episode, a great series. Jeremiah is a longer book. But guys, the way to go through these harder books is definitely with friends. So let's go. Let's open up our Bibles together. All right, guys. Day one of Lent. I mean, not technically day one of Lent, but day one of She Reads Truth Lent, because technically Lent starts Wednesday. Right. Okay, let's let's talk about that. Okay. Because that's confusing. Sure. So today we're starting the Lent study with the community. Hi, guys. Welcome to Lent. In two days, Wednesday is technically the official calendar start of Lent, because that'll be Ash Wednesday. That's right. Do you guys do ashes on your forehead on Wednesdays? On on Wednesdays? (laughs) Every Wednesday. (laughs) Clockwork. I do not. Okay. But I'm not, you know, I mean, it's great when people do. I haven't done that in a very long time, but the last time I did it was probably five years ago, six years ago, and I was downtown Franklin. I'd taken my kids to school, and I was, like, at the intersection, like, the main intersection in town, and there was an Episcopal priest, and he was, like, meeting people on the street corner and offering them Linton ashes on their forehead. I'm glad you said offering them. I had this image in my head of oh, him just, just, like just going up to people, people and you know, marking them. Yeah. <laughs> Tag. Um, I remember this. Yeah, but he, like, he was there, and I just thought, the things that he's going to say to me, I know, and right. they are true. And I wasn't in a church building. I was in the middle of my town, but I said, yeah. And he put ashes on my forehead and said, from dust you came, and to dust you will return. And I wore the ashes that day. I don't know if that's like breaking some rules, but at the time... I was about to ask if it felt a little scandalous. It felt That you were just like outside. I had to be outside, Uh like on the street. But it also just felt like a very public declaring of... Like to wear them is public, but to even receive them on the literal street corner felt like, you know, this is actually true and I need this reminder publicly. Well, I I like that. I mean, it's, you know, Lent is a... Lent is a journey toward the cross. And so there's something really cool about just publicly inviting people to take the journey. Yeah. To say, hey, this is what's going on right now. And Christ died for you. And I don't know where you are, but this is available. That's the thing that I kind of like about Ash Wednesday, because you start Lent with from dust you came to dust you will return. And there's only one place to go from there. Because if you just sit in the, well, um, from dust and I'm going to die, you need hope. You need to go towards the cross. I like that Lent starts there. It kind of demands attention. Yeah. I also like that image of you being kind of stopped in the street because that's kind of how I feel every time Lent arrives. Like I'm never quite ready. Yeah. You know, I mean, I said recently on Instagram that I was ready and my heart feels like I feel a longing, but I don't feel ready. Like, okay. And I think that's the nature of it. I think that's what it's supposed to feel like. Maybe it's supposed to kind of catch your breath. Yeah. It's an interruption. It's an interruption into our day to day and into our thinking and into our hearts to just say this event that Lent leads up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, it demands your attention. You're exactly right. And I think that's why we need the church calendar. I think we need the rhythms of the church calendar. And for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with the church calendar, it's the calendar that the capital C church has used for centuries. 
And so, you know, so many of you celebrated Advent with us, and it was this marked four weeks to prepare our hearts, prepare him room. And we needed that. We needed that long stretch of time blocked on our calendar to pay attention to the nativity and to look to that, to look to the coming of Christ. And so the same here, Amanda, like you were saying, I need to be stopped in my tracks. And I like that the church calendar does that. It says like, we're going to commit every year to, you know, seven weeks, 40 days of Lent, and I just like that the church calendar forces us, stops us in the street and says, hey, y'all need seven weeks, 40 days to realize your need for Christ and to walk towards the cross in this case. With Advent, we're walking toward the nativity. In this case, we're walking toward the cross. But we need even longer than we need for Advent. Isn't that interesting? It is awkwardly long, the season of Lent. Yeah. Like it feels like, oh, wait, are we, are we oh. there yet? Nope. No, oh, we're not. Oh, you're not kidding. It's like a long road trip. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it feels like it sneaks up on you because it's nowhere near Easter. I mean, it's, That's it's true. That's way back That's a great back point. <laughs> That's um, a great point. It's February, y'all. I mean, I always like to think about the church calendar because I grew up, you know, basically Baptist. and Basically Baptist. Basically Baptist. <laughs> and we didn't, the title of John's yeah. memoir, <laughs> basically Baptist. And, you know, and I've, you know, over the years, I've been a part of different traditions and been exposed to different parts of the church and found beautiful things where I've been. But one of the things about the church calendar is, you know, whether you grew up with it or not, whether it's part of your home tradition, it belongs to the church, capital C. Yeah. And it's beautiful, and it's something that's not commanded in Scripture. There's no, you know, there's no New Testament command to keep Lent and keep it holy. And (laughs) there's nothing about, you know, fast for these 40 days or anything like that. But we have this invitation in our history to say this is what other brothers and sisters in Christ have found helpful and it's been meaningful. And so this has been marked out over the centuries and you're invited in too. I like that. This is what other brothers and sisters have found helpful. Yeah, that's good. And we get the question often and she reads truth. Why do you observe Lent if you're not Catholic? Yeah. Because the three of us sitting here on the sofa are not Catholic, Mm -hmm. but I want them to picture us on like one sofa, (laughs) all facing forward. It's It's an L shape. It's an L shape. It's fine. (laughs) Um, That's probably too much information, but (laughs) it's true that, you know, we're not Catholic, but that is a wonderful way to put it. You know, that I think we get that question because the practice of observing Lent is generally and historically speaking, more closely tied with the Catholic tradition, the Catholic church, but it belongs to the capital C church. Yeah. And so it is also okay not to. And there have been years where I didn't really observe Lent in any form or fashion other than, you know, you know that Easter is coming. But then there have been some years where it has been, I've been kind of all in, you know, and I think that's okay. And there's a richness to both. Right. And here's what we do. We read the Bible every day. Right. And Either so way. whether Lent. you want to observe Lent, I think sometimes we accidentally use the word celebrate, which feels a little weird. Right. So whether you want to observe right. Lent or whether you want to read the Bible every day, you know, there's something here for everybody. Because for Lent this year, She Reads Truth is reading the book of Jeremiah, which isn't a particularly Lenten book, but at the same time, it's Except very that Lenten. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It's not like, oh, I obviously associate Jeremiah with the season of Lent. I don't know how many people have ever put that together, but you open that book and you immediately see the need for, you know, the people of Israel, their need for a savior, their separation from God, all of these things. John, talk to us about Jeremiah for Lent. Like, why did we pick it? Sure. And why does it make sense to do it this way? So Jeremiah is a sad story. 
it's the story of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and their spiral into sin and rebellion and ultimately into exile. And it's a sad story, but I think it's our story too. When we were talking about, you know, what should we do this year for Lent, Jeremiah jumped out at me in particular because Lent is a time to take stock of the cross. And it was our sin that brought Christ to the cross. And Jeremiah is a book that is very candid about sin. He doesn't hold back punches. The people of Judah, they were deep into idolatry Mm -hmm. and they were warned time and time again about justice for the poor and worshiping other gods and not holding to the covenant that God gave them. And so their destruction came. But I want to go back further than that, because I think the story of Jeremiah, for a lot of people, it's like, this is this weird part of redemption history, right? We're talking about the tail end of the kingdom of Judah. What does that have to do with me today? And I think if you go back, I want to do this every book of the Bible. Go back to (laughs) Genesis. This is true of John and us. We like to go back. (laughs) But Genesis, you know, we have the story of our world is set up. God created human beings, and he gave them a mission. The mission he gave us was to take the borders of Eden and extend them to the ends of the earth. And in doing that, he called us to be his image bearers. We were to reflect God's goodness, God's beauty to each other and to all of creation as we extended Eden. So in the process, making earth a whole lot like heaven. Eden is... So our job mm -hmm. is reflect God. Yeah, reflect Mm -hmm. God. To the world. Yeah. And we all know when something's unjust and we all know when something's been done to us. Yeah. And we we all know what it's like to want mercy. And, And that was our story from the beginning was that God was creating a place where that was kind of the atmosphere. That was the world we were supposed to live in. But we rebelled and we were cast out of Eden. And so now we live in this broken, fallen world. This is why Christ came. But before Christ came, God started over. He called a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and they were old, beyond childbearing years. Sarah was barren, and he said, I'm going to make, just like he did at creation, right? He made something out of nothing. Mm -hmm, So I'm going to do the same thing again. I'm going to form a new people out of nothing. I'm going to take people who, the author of Hebrews says, were basically dead. Um, As good as dead. Good as dead. And I'm going to make a nation out of them. And that was the nation of Israel. They were to carry out that mission, that mission of Eden. They were to reflect God to the rest of the world. There would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world. And so here in Jeremiah, we get to the place where they've failed. Israel's already been taken into the northern kingdom of Israel's already been taken into captivity by Assyria. And Judah's the kingdom that remains, but time is short. Yeah. So Jeremiah comes on the scene and he, he calls people back to repentance. He calls people back to turn back to God, to be loyal to the covenant. And it's a sad story. But in the middle of it, and this is kind of the key, in the middle of Jeremiah, chapters 30 through 33 is a little section called the Book of Comforts. And it's there that we have this promise of a new covenant, a promise that God will redeem his people. I love that. I love that it's in the middle of this book, which Jeremiah is the longest prophetic book in the Old Testament, which means it's really, really long. (laughs) Um, And not only is the book of comforts in the middle of Jeremiah, but this verse that I'm about to read, the kind of the key verse for our plan and that promise of the new covenant is kind of in the middle of the book of comforts. This is Jeremiah 31, 33, and this is the Lord speaking. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God 
and they will be my people. And that is something that I can hang on to. You know, as a reader who maybe is reading this very long book of the Bible for the first time, yeah. first of all, if that is true, this is the time to do it. Like in good company, with, yeah. with and not just a buddy, but with a world full of buddies who are going to be reading the same passages that you're in on the days that you're in. And this is one of my favorite things about the She Reads Truth community yeah. is that anytime that you join us to read with us, you know that there are women and men around the world who are reading these very passages that same day. But also to begin this book knowing that this kind of nugget of um, the foundation of this book of comforts and of the promise of the new covenant, that it resides right there in the middle, Mm -hmm. both to look forward to and to look back on as we're reading. Amanda, you read, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. So that covenant, John, is the new covenant. Is that right? That's right. So this is the introduction of the new covenant. Yeah. And then this has a really strong connection to Holy Week because it's at the Last Supper when Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the new covenant came by way of the cross. Mm -hmm. It's possible. What Amanda just read, you know, it says, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's possible because of the cross, because Christ paid the price for our sin. So, I mean, we're asking why Jeremiah for Lent. Here's the truth. Every book of the Bible is going to point to the cross. It's going to point to our need for Jesus. It's going to point to the redemption story. It's a part of the redemption story. And one of the things that I love about the book of Jeremiah and one of the ways that it points to the cross is right here, introducing the new covenant When we read that, when we look to that, it feels so appropriate and so beautiful for Lent to prepare our hearts as we get ready to walk into Holy Week. Right. The same new covenant that Jesus speaks of at the Last Supper and the same new covenant, as John pointed out, that he fulfills and makes possible. Okay, John. So what else, like you're kind of giving us this big picture. What can we expect in the next seven weeks? What else do we need to know about the book of Jeremiah before we tackle so it? So one thing, this is kind of a warning for folks who are used to reading a book of the Bible straight through and having it go in order. Jeremiah does not. Yeah. Jeremiah is an anthology, and it's not in chronological order. So it's grouped by theme. Jeremiah was a prophet for a long time, starting in the reign of Josiah all the way till Jerusalem is destroyed. And so there's a lot of historical time that's covered by the book, but... The book is sermons, it's prophecies, it's Synax, which is a really cool feature of the When you book. say Synax, that's S-I-G-N-A-C-T-S. That's right. It Two sounds words. like some fancy, like... Yeah, Synax, yes. um, which, real brief, Synax are when God tells a prophet to do something, to enact something as a message itself. And then yeah. usually it's followed by, here's why I did that. For example... Um, for example... This is kind of a graphic one, but in the book of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah to get a pair of underwear and wear them around until they're really dirty and then hide them in a crevice and then go dig them up later. And so to, to illustrate that, so weird. To illustrate that Judah was once close to God and is now... Far good, away from God. Now dirty. ready to be thrown away. Yeah, so you can, uh, listeners, look forward to that next week. I think that, is that day 11? It's chapter, chapter 13. 13. Yeah. Um, But also in your book, you'll be able to see that whole chart of all the crazy sign acts in the book of Jeremiah. So enjoy that. It's almost impossible to say sign acts and hear it in a way that it should say. Yes. 
but it's good to know that now because it gives us context. When we reach a passage like that, I mean, some of the stuff in the Bible, it's not boring for sure, because that's as random as it gets. I love the warning that it's not chronological because I think as a reader, that makes a huge difference to know that going in. And in fact, we have in the study book, we have an outline and we'll provide a link to it in the show notes as well so that you can download that. But just to kind of help you get your bearings and see where you are in the book and kind of what's going on and where the book of comfort is located. It just gives us a good map so that we can know you're here in the book of Jeremiah. So we'll do that for you guys. Good. Okay. So we have sign acts to look forward to, John. What else? So I mentioned that the book is not in chronological order and it's an anthology. So one of the features is that it's not just things Jeremiah said, it's also stories about Jeremiah. Yeah. So I think it's chapter 36 where God tells Jeremiah to get a scribe and to write these things down. And so the scribe he gets is a guy named Baruch. And he writes down not only the prophecies and sermons that Jeremiah preached and spoke, but also he writes down events in his life. It's not like a prophecy itself, but if you follow the story of Jeremiah, it starts looking a lot like Jesus. Because Jeremiah is a guy who was called by God to speak truth to God's people, and they hated him for it. And they did all kinds of horrible things to him. Yeah. And yet Jeremiah remained faithful. So he's one of the good ones. There's a lot of prophets in the Bible. We know more about Jeremiah than we know about anybody else. I was about to say that, that we don't often get as intimate a portrait of a prophet. We don't ever get as intimate a portrait of a prophet as we do of this one. I mean, Jonah comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, it's not much real estate in the Bible, but you get to know him pretty well, decently well Mm -hmm. through reading the book. But yeah. Okay, so if that's sort of like our 30,000-foot view of the whole Lenten season of our whole book of Jeremiah, I want to talk for a minute about just this week. So this week, we're actually not starting the book of Jeremiah until Wednesday, because we really did want to start on Ash Wednesday. So Monday and Tuesday are essays and scripture reading just to sort of frame Lent like we're doing here. And so we'll actually start Jeremiah on Wednesday And the thing that I like about that is that we start actually with Jeremiah's call. And the thing that I like here, John or Amanda, is I like that we get this moment of like seeing what it looks like to be called to be a prophet by the Lord. Like in chapter one, read it because I know I see you have it. Yeah. So in chapter one, I'll just start in verse four. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then verse six is, you know, reminds me of Moses. But I protested, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. And then we were talking about this before we hit record, just the impact of this moment in verse nine. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. Which kind of harkens to Ecclesiastes. I see that. A little bit. Yeah. But... I mean, in no uncertain terms, Jeremiah was appointed by the Lord and consecrated to speak on behalf of the Lord. This is a really powerful moment. This is one of the narrative moments in this anthology where we're seeing this is what a prophet is. Right. Wow. 
Yeah, and this is true of all you know the prophets in the Bible. There's a expectation that they had met with God. God had appeared to them. They had either, you know, like Isaiah has that moment where he's called into the divine throne room, right? He has this heavenly experience. And Isaiah is touched with a coal on his mouth. Right. Is that right? Yep. Okay. And so, and Jeremiah has a similar experience here. I mean, I love this language, right? It says, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says in verse nine, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. Yeah. The idea that I noticed that too, like a physical yeah, body part. That God reached out his hand and touched his mouth is just incredible, right? I mean, there's no question about it though. Like this, he was literally touched by God and called to be a prophet. So we read this in the first few verses because what it's communicating to readers is, hey, everything that follows, take it seriously. Take it seriously. This guy yeah. has been commissioned. It's um, like, it makes me think of Revelation yeah. where it just says like, write what you see to John. Yep. Right. So cool. And then in chapter two, it gets right down to business and just accusing Israel of, you know, their crimes against God yeah. and how they have forsaken God. It's not a popular job being no. a prophet. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Which is why there's, you know, the title of that section in the outline is like, Jeremiah stands firm despite harassment, I think it says, or yeah, harassment. Yeah, so he was not treated kindly. He's not treated kindly. Yeah. But as we, you know, so it's, it's really easy, I think, when you read a book like Jeremiah to disassociate and say, this isn't about me. This is about yeah. people who lived a long time ago and they were horrible, but that's not me. Mm-hmm. Right. But I read like, you know, you mentioned chapter two and I read like, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here, starting in verse four, chapter two, verse four, he says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land, eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. So you read that, and if you know any of the Bible at all, you kind of know, okay, it's probably, he's talking about the Exodus, right? He's talking about mm-hmm. the generation that followed Moses in the wilderness, followed God in a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day, and he brought them into the promised land. But they've forgotten. And you go, well, how does that, I mean, again, how does that relate to us? And I think about it as a believer going, well, God led me to the cross. Mm-hmm. God paid for my sins. He gave me a new life, gave me his Holy Spirit, and how easy it is to forget that, how easy it is in my own life to latch on to a worthless idol, Mm -hmm. how easy it is to put something else in the place where God should only occupy. I'm not any more innocent than the people of Judah, people of Israel. No. We kind of started this episode talking about, you know, let's go back to the beginning. You know, if God's original purpose for mankind, and then even like the covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant... The goal here, being made in the image of God, is to reflect God to the world. But what's happening here is not simply a forgetting of God, but really Israel has gone from the job, the call of reflecting God to the world, to now just reflecting the world. They're they're no longer showing the world who God is. They're just kind of looking more and more like the world. Well, it's worse than that. I mean, did you catch, like, it's interesting that you said reflect, right? Because did you catch what it says in verse... Five. Say it. Says they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Yeah. yeah. They're bearing the image of false gods. Right. That wow. to me, when I personally look at this 
reading plan that we're launching into today, that is the why Jeremiah for Lent for me personally, is because I'm always guilty of following worthless idols. I mean, that's why we're so passionate about women in the Word of God every day, because every day is how often I need to be reoriented to the truth of the gospel Mm -hmm. and reoriented to God. And I love this passage that you read in verse six, they stopped asking, where's the Lord who brought us from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness. And then later in verse eight, it says the priests quit asking, where's the Lord? Like we quit looking for the Lord. That is not our natural default is not to turn toward God. And so when we are so far removed that we aren't even attempting to ask, where are you? Mm-hmm. Then it's time for a drastic reorientation of our hearts. I understand that. I love this so much. I understand that there is so much more ahead of us in Lent than simply this. Right. But my goodness, even if every day of Lent, I woke up and said, where's the Lord? And looked for the Lord, sought the Lord just by saying that and kind of, I mean, not just by saying that, but then seeking the Lord. We know there's promises in scripture, seek me and you will find me. Right. And so the thing that through Jeremiah that the Lord is accusing them of is just not even saying, where is the Lord? It makes me ask myself, am I asking, where is the Lord? Am I seeking the Lord? When we orient our hearts to worthless idols, then we become worthless ourselves. And in that, not that we lose like the inherent value that we're given by being image bearers of God, but you know, if I don't even know where God is, if I am following after worthless idols, then I am not doing my job, which is to reflect God. As far as that calling is concerned, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty worthless when I'm chasing after a worthless idol. Exactly. So being made in the image of God means that we inherently have worth, value, dignity. And so then we're reading here that like you became worthless because you're not bearing the image of God anymore. It's so interesting, John, how it is not a mistake to go back to the beginning because you're seeing that connection and it's strong. It's not fabricated. Right. There's this idea that runs through you know, the whole Bible, and that is that we were made to be loyal to Yahweh, right? It's what connects us with Old Testament saints. You know, you often get asked the question, you know, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Because they didn't, you know, they didn't have Jesus. Well, yeah, they had the promise of salvation, coming salvation. They didn't quite know how it was going to work out. They had pieces of the puzzle. They had prophecies and promises, but the, their salvation was based on the fact that they were loyal to Yahweh and believed those promises. We are on the other side of that, and we can look back and say, you fulfilled those promises, but it's still about our loyalty. What's happening here is, and this is true for us too, right? If wherever our loyalty is, that's what we're going to reflect. Mm-hmm. So when our loyalty becomes about something other than God, we start reflecting whatever that is. That's real. If it's ourself, if yeah. it's other people, if it's the opinions of others, if it's materialism, whatever it is, that's what we start reflecting to the rest of the world. Yeah. And then we're worthless. Of course, that's not to say that any any human being made in God's image is actually worthless. What's being talked about here is the idea that we have this mission from God to bear his image and to make this world a little bit more like heaven. And when we instead transfer our loyalty to a, an idol or a false god, we become in that mission, worthless to the task. Our idols are not 
only worthless because they make us look worthless. They are worthless because they have no power to save us. And chapter two, when we continue reading, we see that as well, where, you know, you may say to a tree, you're my father to a stone. You gave birth to me for they've turned their back to me and not their face. Yet in their time of disaster, they beg, rise up and save us. Verse 28, but where are your gods you made for yourself? Let them rise up and save you in your time of disaster if they can. And because we cannot, when we have our loyalties in anything other than God, we've put our hope in the exact wrong place. You know, our hope can only be in the God who made us and in the Savior who gave himself for us, mm-hmm. and in this this new covenant that we will see in Jeremiah for the forgiveness of sins. And so I, I feel like this, I love the way that Jeremiah begins because there's this kind of condemnation, yeah. and there is a reckoning of like, your idols cannot save you. And then there in, I guess, is it in chapter four, a call to repentance. It begins in three. Return, unfaithful Israel. This is the Lord's declaration. I will not look on you with anger, for I am unfailing in my love. This is the Lord's declaration. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to strangers under every green tree and have not obeyed me. This is the Lord's declaration. And then just that call to return, which is the call of Lent. And of the cross, return. This feels like the good news. Like this feels like a very honest, a painfully honest call, you know, for Jeremiah to go like, here's how worthless and after worthless things you are. But there's good news. It just doesn't leave us there. And that, and God doesn't leave us there. So this is the beauty of Jeremiah. This is the beauty of Lent that we are being told in no uncertain terms that sin only ends in one thing. It ends in separation from God. But who is pursuing the person who is separated from God, but God himself? That was true in the book of Jeremiah with the tribe of Judah. And that's true of every single person in earshot of us reading these words. The truth is, yes, sin separates us from God. But right here, return, O faithless children, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And the way we return, the way that we reading these words today in 2020, Mm -hmm. like the way that we return is by way of the cross. Like Jesus has made the way for us to return to God. That's my why, Jeremiah, for Lent. Yeah. Let's bring our focus back to Jeremiah and kind of the context that he was speaking into. What did separation from God look like? What is he talking about? It looked like Babylon coming from the north and destroying Jerusalem and carrying the people away. This was not simply an emotional or no. spiritual separation from God. This was, you got to leave. Yeah, this was not just feeling distant from the Lord. Yeah. This was, so in Old Testament terms and even New Testament terms, there's this idea of sacred space, right? That God, like God's country in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why, if you remember in the book of Second Kings, Naaman, when he's healed by Elisha, he takes dirt back with him to Syria. It's because he knew that dirt belonged to Yahweh, and he wanted to worship on dirt that belonged to Yahweh. Hmm. And so here in Jeremiah, they're taken out of the land. They're no longer allowed to walk on that dirt. That dirt is sacred. So, so who, who takes them out of the land? The How? Babylonians. Okay. So they are, you know, the Babylonians are the bad guys. They're being used by God, but they're worse 
in many ways than Israel. They're you know idolaters. They're pagans. They're not worshiping Yahweh. Um, they're the bad guys in the story. So if you're a resident of Judah and you're hearing Jeremiah say, "Well, God's going to raise up the Babylonians," you're thinking those guys, but we're better than them. Mm-hmm. And doesn't that sound kind of familiar to us today? Right? We yeah. often, you know, well, I'm better than so and so. Right? But that's how bad it's gotten. Right. Is that I'm going to raise these people up now? Yeah, and then later in the book of Jeremiah, there'll be you know, at the end, Jeremiah prophesies judgment on Babylon. So God's not blind to sin; He mm-hmm. judges it everywhere. But for now, He's using them. I want to read. This is from chapter four, and this is how God describes the judgment. This is starting with verse twenty-three. He says, "I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty, and at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking." All the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. So again, going back to the beginning, these are all echoes of Genesis. These are all echoes of creation, right? Remember Genesis says, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void or formless and empty. He's saying it's going back to that. Hmm. So judgment is like an undoing of God's goodness, right? All of creation is good. Mm. And he's saying like, at the end of this, I'm going to leave the land. It's going to be formless and empty again. And to be super clear, at no point does God become any less good. When you say the undoing of God's goodness, you're not saying any change in his character, but you're saying the good thing that he did. Right. It's like, this is, you know, terms are as bad as they can get, right? They're saying this judgment is so bad. It'll be as if I reversed creation. I mean, look at this. Point by point, right? Formless and empty. The light is gone, right? First, you know, God yeah. speaks and there's, let there be light and there's light. The birds fly away. The fruitful land is a desert. Like all of these pieces of God's good creation unfolding in Genesis. Kind of fold back up. Right. And it's just prophetic, right? This doesn't literally happen. I don't think that during the exile there were no birds in Israel. But the point being made is that like this is bad. Like you said earlier, Rachel, when we sin, it leads us away from God. And this is like in big terms, in big paint-in-the-sky terms, this is what's happening. And so it's bleak. Mm -hmm. But again, there's this hope tucked in here. God is calling his people to return. He promises a new covenant where he will write the law in people's hearts, and they will be his people. And it will not depend on our will, but on God within us, bringing us to a place where we can follow him. This is bad, but hope is tucked in there. In the middle of Jeremiah, there's this promise of the new covenant again. And he's going to he's going to make it so this isn't the end of our story. Right. And if there is a central call of the Lenten season, it is to acknowledge, to look on our sin without flinching, to really look at it, to see our need for a Savior, to repent, to confess, to repent, to turn and return. To God. So I want to actually talk practically about that. Yes. I'm maybe like a, I'm a practical person. So I feel like I can say 10 to 100 times, Lent is about looking at our sins, about repenting. It's about being honest about our need. But let's talk practically for a second. What does it actually mean when we say Lent is about talking about our sin, looking at our sin, repenting? Like, how does that look person to person? Are we writing it down? Like when we go to the Lord, are we just going like, God, I want to spend an hour and I want you to examine my heart, like David said, and like, Lord, see my inmost thoughts and see if there is a dark way in me. Or is it just like, man, there's some surface things right now that I could list right off the bat. 
I think, yes, I think it is that. I think it can be, I mean, how often do we pray and ask the Lord to show us our sin? Not often. Because here's the thing, when you pray that, He will. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to endure, to look at our sin. And so I think, yes, I think it can be different from person to person. But for me, you know, you were talking, Rachel, about the church calendar earlier. And to me, the different seasons of the church calendar, it serves a similar purpose to, you know, any calendar. It's that if I don't make room for this and if I don't write this down, I'm not going to get around to it. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't make room for these encounters with God's word and with the Lord in prayer where I am really truly wanting for him to shine a light on the sin in my life Mm -hmm. and give me the opportunity to confess those and to repent Mm -hmm. and to rely on him for my righteousness, then that's not something that I am going to naturally do every day. I'm kind of excited for Lent, maybe for that reason, because every Sunday I spend about four minutes on my knees. Like that's something that our church does. We have kneelers. We're not super liturgical, and but that's something our church does. Near the kind of the beginning of the service, we have what's called confession and assurance of pardon. And so we all hit our knees and we spend a few minutes just alone with the Lord as a congregation confessing our sins. And it occurs to me that that might be the only time in the week where I I'm on my knees before the Lord confessing my sin that like, and that's a rhythm and it's good, but I don't know. I mean, even like hearing you talk about it, it kind of, it makes me think like, well, I want to do that every day in Lent. I want to spend every day in Lent spending time on my knees in confession and acknowledgement of my sin. But as you say that, and I, I agree with what you're saying, there's something in my head. I hear the voice of my beautiful wife who would be, Hi, who, Lauren. yes, she would tell me <laughs> we got to be careful yeah, not to give sin the spotlight. That's good. So yes, this is a time to reflect on our own lives and on our own, you know, sinful patterns in our lives and to give them over to God and confess and turn. But I just feel really strongly that the way that happens is by looking at the cross. That's good. It's not by looking at, it's not necessarily by looking at us. It's by looking at Jesus, who is the perfect image of God and seeing Mm -hmm. where we don't line up. Mm -hmm. But it's because we're looking at him. Because I don't think like we said this earlier, but the Christian life, it's not about sinning less. It's not that next year at Lent, I'm going to go, well, last year, here are my 17 sins that I was committing regularly. And this year it's down to 14. So I'm doing better. Doing better. No, it's about what we talked about. It's about reflecting God's image. And the byproduct of that is we should be sinning less. We should be quicker to confess and repent. But it's not about, I don't want people to listen to this and think like, okay, I got 40 days to think about my sin. To think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And to reflect on my sin. It's really about, no, it's about looking at the cross and you're going to see your sin there because that's what put Jesus there. Is it McShane who says for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ or 10 looks at the cross? Is that right? Yes. And so... It is a good correction, John, to say that this is Lent is not about navel gazing and yeah. about wallowing in our sin. You know, I and, and I love that like we each have our own kind of opinions about what what it is for in our lives. And because I do feel strongly that like I I want to, I mean, in the way of Psalm one thirty nine, I want to say, like, see if there's any offensive way in me mm-hmm. and lead me in the way everlasting. Like it helps me as a follower of Jesus to for there to be specific ways that I 
am disobeying yeah. and am not following the example of Christ to be brought to mind so that I can speak those. Because I find that when I speak things in my life, it takes some of the mystery and like the, it takes some of the power away from it. Mm-hmm. So when I speak to God, like I don't want to, you know, I'm sorry for the anger that I felt toward my children. I mean, there's one, let's go there for a minute, yeah. you know, and to, but when I speak that to him and I have the opportunity to confess and to turn from it and then to receive forgiveness for that specific sin in my life, then it's a really powerful thing. So I think it's a both and. This is why I love, like I said at my church, where we do that confession of sin, but we rise with scriptural assurance of pardon. We don't stop on our knees and just say it and then just like, well, this is too bad. We assure ourselves of the pardon that we've received in Christ's blood. And so this is what I really like. What we put in the book this year, and we haven't done this in Lent past, but in the study book this year, every Saturday, we have a confession of sin and an assurance of pardon. And every week, it's this confession of sin pulled from the Book of Common Prayer. But then also every week, it's a different assurance of pardon straight out of Scripture. This is not our words. This is God's Word assuring us. Week one, for example, we have this confession of sin from the Book of Common Prayer, and then we have an assurance of pardon. I kind of want to read them. Can we... I think we should. And honestly, I feel like we're kind of sliding into beauty, goodness, and truth right now. Yeah. Into the, as we always end every episode with, you know, what are we seeing that is beautiful, good, and true in the world? And there is beauty, goodness, and truth in confessing our sins to the Lord, to one another. Yeah. And to acknowledge out loud in our journal to a trusted friend who's also a believer. To a person we have sinned against. Yeah. So let's read it. Let's read. Um, this is the confession of sin that appears every week. And then I'll read the assurance of pardon. Let's let okay. that be our goodbye. All right, let's do it. This is from the Book of Common Prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And this is your assurance of pardon from Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace! Exclamation point. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you believe this is true? I do. I do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all, this is going to be a beautiful week. We are looking forward to observing Lent with you. We're going to start with a couple of essays, some scripture, and then on Wednesday, we'll begin reading the book of Jeremiah. We're doing it together. And then y'all, next week, we'll be back with Patty Sauls as a guest, a friend of ours, and soon a friend of yours, a she who reads truth. And so we're just so excited to have Patty on with us. And 
Speaking of friends, grab a friend to read with you. We're on day one of our Lent study. You don't have to have a study book. There are still some available, but go to SheReadsTruth.com or download the app and follow along there. But invite a friend. This is a plan that is best done in community. So we just encourage you to lean on each other, to be brave in the way you speak to one another and admit the things that God's working on in your hearts. And just remember that, like Amanda said, we are going to go ahead and include the outline for the book of Jeremiah in case you don't have the study book in our show notes. You can find that at shereadstruth.com slash podcast. You'll also be able to find a ton of other great stuff. Our friend Catherine is taking notes and providing all the scripture references for what we've been talking about, as well as links. So we hope that you will join us next week and join us this week in Lent. Y'all, until then, Amanda, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles. (laughs) 